0: Welcome to Happy Times and Places, which is a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydoke, ask a special guest to choose a story and select their favourite things about it in secret. I have to watch, commentate, and try and guess what those favourite things are.
1: Hello Toby. As requested, here are five things that I like about Remembrance of the Daleks from 1988. hello good evening and welcome to
0: this edition of happy times and places I paused for a moment there because suddenly Toby Haydock's time travels came into my head because that is the umbrella that I have because uh, uh, if I wanted to do all the podcasts I wanted to do um, separately uh, I would have to pay for a feed for each one and um, <laughs> that's not gonna happen I've just had uh, I've just had the uh, the what's it called the um I was going to say the Nostradamus snow the uh, the uh, whatever it is when they say the projected uh rise in uh, our household energy bills come through and uh, oh dearie me no so everything's under staying under one stream even if I do 10 different podcasts they're all going to be under Toby Haydoke's time travels but this is happy times and places where uh, I watch a Doctor Who story nominated by a friend. The friend whose voice you heard there uh, didn't introduce himself. He was very to the point. He's a very amiable and uh, good conversationalist when it's it's one-to-one. Uh, but I don't know if it was because he, he, he could sense the nation <laughs> listening in that uh, he was very terse there. That's Charles Norton, who is uh, a dogged, hard-working producer who has put together various uh, animations on uh, 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 Doctor Who DVDs and made sure they've got extras uh where, where often there was little budget, so to do, um, he made a great uh, documentary on *Power of the Daleks* with scant resources. Made it a sort of day-to-day production diary, which is a really interesting thing to do. He thinks outside the box a little bit, uh, Charles, and he also worked on the *Quatermass and the Pit* Blu-ray, where he and I travelled up and down the country, uh, talking to people who were still alive from it, and. Um, Uh, It it was all rather (laughs) ad hoc, and uh, but we got it. We and and then he cut together all the stuff we got together from disparate areas, and then I filled in the blanks with a commentary myself. So, what? Uh, what you know? What a, what a contribution he has made, uh, you know, uh, unsung and behind the scenes. Uh, and he's a good guy, is Charles. And we, uh, I always when, he, whenever he phones me, it always says caller ID not recognised. But I sort of know it's him. Um, and it's uh, and, and 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 I always answer. And uh, I, I mean, I suppose one day I'll go hello, Charles, and it will be somebody like, no, you want to buy a thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know why that's my scam call. Oh, um, uh, hey, Mister, give me your—that's a sultry lady voice. Give me your email passwords, and I shall show you my boobies. Um, but it's no. It's normally Charles going. Toby, um, do you know who's still alive from this thing? Or what do you think if we tried to do a DVD release of the existing material of United? Um, by the way, that's about a split second, I think. Uh, but I always look forward to Charles because I have conversations with him that I cannot have with any, probably anybody else. You know how there are Doctor Who fans and then there are Doctor Who fans friends from whom you get one sort of particular thing. I have different friends that, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to chat about... um, uh, You know the state of different film prints. There's one that I will talk to if I want to talk about where where certain actors are or might be. There's another one or two or three that I talk to. You know if I if I want to talk about stuff that sort of goes beyond Doctor Who and goes into other sort of ephemera that you know might pique the interest of one or the other. There's another you know. Um, It's a bit like Doctor Who. There's you know there's a I always say that the beauty of Doctor Who is there's a story for whatever mood I am in. There is also, I like to think, in my, in my sort of strange uh, network of friends now, which is odd because I didn't have many Doctor Who fan friends at all when I was a kid, um, there is now a Doctor Who fan to suit whatever conversation I require. Anyway, we're going to go for an acknowledged classic of Doctor Who, but one that I have a very complicated relationship with uh, which we will explain as we go through, because of course, when I watched this when it first came out, I was 14 years old, and 14-year-olds are as—I uh, mean—are as angry as those people on Twitter, <laughs> many of whom I suspect might be 14-year-olds. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, well, let's talk about let's talk about this, but don't worry. Uh, any any uh, criticism I I have of remembrance of the Daleks is past me talking, and I shall reprimand him because he knew nothing because uh, <laughs> i love uh, i i really last time i did this uh, story i uh, i had the pleasure of doing a commentary for phantom films on one of their um who talk cd's and and the cast all joined along as well and what a jolly bunch they are simon williams is a great guy uh and uh i had a great time watching it with them and it's one of my favorite commentaries i've ever done uh so uh i'm looking forward to doing this one where i get to say everything uh, and, of course, to check in with Charles at the end to see what he likes, which, judging by his introduction, he will be straight to the point with. So uh, I will perhaps have to, you, you, know, you know, go into further detail. Anyway, I would like you, and we're not going to go straight into the theme, are we? Because uh, this one has a pre-title sequence. But we are going to uh, initiate that with our, you know, uh, space view of Earth in three, two, one. Um, I love this opening. I mean, this, this. I mean, I even though I was angry, uh, you know, Doctor Who hating Doctor Who fan, which we will get into, uh, and you know, season twenty four had been a bit of a rough time. Um, this immediately seemed. This opening here, look at that, seemed and 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 the choice of the clips, because anything that sort of evoked the past and had some sort of um you know, you know sense of history about it automatically sort of seemed top class. And I, I think that sequence is uh, that you know, the sound editing is excellent. Um it's it's a shame it pauses just at the end, but maybe that's deliberate, but it seems like it seems like the special effect has kind of run out. But it's it's a great start. Uh, and I think, and I think, the season announces itself because the sea change between season twenty four and season twenty five, uh, in terms of sort of production, it 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 did seem to me like you know, season twenty four, uh, 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 you know, which which did have the vibe of kind of galloping galaxies and Captain Zepp's mum and dad are coming round for tea, so they've tidied up a bit, whereas you know this this seemed like. You know they've they, they've gone to the effort to make you know kind of um, you know Juliet Bravo, but aliens are coming. Uh, you know it, it seemed it seemed sort of proper. Um, and of course we've got a lot of uh, references to old Doctor Who and to the past because we are in the twenty fifth anniversary. And uh, there's we're always I think as fans going to have mixed feelings about that, partially because i don't know about you but i always have an eye on the mythical casual viewer and go well i, I, I might like this but other people who don't hate themselves might not like it and that would be better um and, and i might help myself for liking this because it shows that i only like things because they bloody t- bloody blah, 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 blah but i automatically think there's a there's a great confidence about these two um I, lo- I love the lick of the pace with which this gets started. I think Andrew Cartmel's decision not to have any Tardis scenes automatically just uh, starts starts adventures going, you know, at, at, at a lick. The- these two, I think, have a great chemistry. Um, uh, but um, I, I, you know, as as a as as a as a young man, I was very much on the sort of lookout for things and even an episode like this which has got so many good things about it I'll be able to point out the two or three things that kind of ruined it for me because they didn't even do that bit properly um and yet I did I did really enjoy watching this story but also because I kind of knew it was going to be the one that everybody liked the best it's shortcomings for me therefore uh made me want to be more sort of vocal about. And I actually, I was writing, I wrote for a sort of local group fanzine at this time. It was one of my, my sort of brief dalliances with, with fandom. And so I, because everybody loved Remembrance, I wanted to be the guy that, you know, told it off. And, And Greatest Show in the Galaxy was my story of the year. Um, and i still I still have a soft spot for Great shown, would still probably edge it over this, but then again, that's partially because of my sort of race memory of going, well, I'm championing the underdog and and people like this more than they like remembrance, so of course, I like the kudos of going, well, I'll actually tell you why the the story that nobody talks about enough is the better one um but this is obviously great learning you know, looking back at it now, um where I don't have anything to prove, and I've grown up a bit uh because it was a long time ago, even though I think of this as very modern Doctor love the creepy girl, uh, who's really spooky. This is this is great, Sylvester, you know, jumping and doing something. I don't care quite why he's measuring the thing with his umbrella, but he's just trying to be inventive. Dursley McClendon here, absolutely beautiful young man. Um, uh, and I made a real mistake about him, which I will explain a little bit later on. Um, and I remember, because... You know, quite often at this period, you know, the Doctor Who production team would, you know, sort of release, these people are going to be the guest stars of this. And I remember Harry Fowler was going, he was listed as one of the people going to be the guest stars. And you never knew then whether that meant actually it would be quite a small part like this or whether they'd you know do everything Uh, because sometimes they'd announce Peggy Mount you know she's announced as one of the guest stars but she's only in a handful of scenes but that's John Nathan Turner you know using what he called the knicker elastic money to get you know even small parts you know becoming sort of cameos by by people he thought were famous because I didn't have a clue who Harry Fowler was but my granddad did and my mum did so that all helps and that's all good um uh, I've since learned that Harry Fowler, uh, who plays Harry. In fact, can I say this? Ha- yes, I can. It's the sort of thing I. I love this, by the way. The uh, I don't know why she's you know doing the, doing the nursery rhyme, but it it uh, well because she knows it's the doctor. Because she it turns out that she's the one you thought was Davros, but and she's got a great slightly husky voice and she's really scary and those sort of waspish eyes that she has. Um, this is great. The way the doctor just sort of jumps in and goes <laughs> this. Uh, and of course she's showing, she's showing, Oh, I'm, I'm slightly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of you, but because he's got in there quick and said all the sciencey stuff, he's half kind of won her over, which is again, great kind of economical stuff. And it's good character stuff for the doctor. Um, yeah. Lo- and it's very nice. And it's lovely to see Pamela Salem, uh, who of course have been in the robots of death. Um, uh, and, uh, yes, so Harry Fowler, Harry Fowler is, I mean, I don't know an awful lot about the schlongs of Doctor Who guest stars, but I, uh, on the grapevine of, um, uh, uh you know, thespian slash BBC gossip, uh, I, uh, Harry Fowler is renowned in certain quarters for, or have, for being one of the best endowed people in the business of show. Um, so, <laughs> make of that what you will but you're here for the facts and and that is one of them Uh, that's a very nice reveal because you've got the nice uh, the nice guy uh, uh, you know in the cafe that uh, Ace has met uh, and then you know chatting along and the little seed of hey are you from somewhere else which is where we get one of the big surprises later and then Sergeant boom so you've got that's actually very economical nicely paced bits of storytelling where it's giving us a couple of little seeds for the future, but also then has a surprise this early in the episode. Oh, she's talking to a nice guy. Oh, he's a sergeant. Oh, so then on there, the military. Oh, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's layer upon layer, which is very nicely done. And this is, you know, this episode has, has gone very, very quickly and very excitingly. Uh, and I think the fact that it's set on a recognizable earth, uh, you know is is helpful for a season opener um uh and the military thing i th- always works very nicely with 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 doctor who um you know especially if he sort of contrasts with it but it gives it that it gives it that sort of dramatic you know heft uh that we're used to from sort of action adventure stuff and it makes doctor who feel a little bit sort of grown up um and simon williams just just a, a, a lovely actor really nice guy as well actually um he sent me a check for 10 pounds when i was a drama student i was trying to put a showcase together for for me and some mates and i wrote to a few actors uh and he said i so wish this could have an extra naught on it but it can't but he sent me a tenner and i you know that's just a nice thing to do i shudder now that i wrote to actors because uh, i wrote to actors who i thought were loaded you know because they were on telly and stuff um and <laughs> now now i know quite you know Quite the truth of what an actor's life is like. If somebody sent me a letter asking for money, I'd be like, oh, "Really?" Uh, <laughs> um, and here's Karen Gledhill, who is now, I think, the the chairperson, or certainly high up in the Actors Benevolent Fund, where I get my Christmas cards from. Uh, there's been a bit of a schism with the Actors Benevolent Fund. I think there's the people's popular. Actors Benevolent front now as well and all those sorts of schisms that I haven't quite got uh, to grips with. Um, so I don't want to come out in, in, in favour of one side or the other. But I still get my Christmas cards from there in order that the charity that looks after actors who've hit hard times gets my money at Christmas. Uh, and it means you occasionally get uh, uh, a Christmas card that's been designed by Edward de Souza, Mark Corey, or a Clive Francis, who's never been in Doctor Who and should have been. Um, one of the soldiers uh, is in, in that wide shot. Uh, I think he puts his legs apart when everybody else puts them together, and it is quite noticeable, but never mind. Peter Hamilton Dyer, who plays the sergeant here, he was all over cast lists at the Royal Shakespeare Company, this guy here, uh, and, and it was quite funny because you notice his name, you know, being this one-episode Doctor Who character, uh, and then suddenly, he, you know, the next couple of years, he was appearing uh, and, and, you know, getting g- good good sort of notices in stuff. So it was like, oh, you know, Doctor Who does it again, picks an actor that uh, uh, is obviously going to have a great future. But I haven't actually heard from him much recently, so it, it looked to me like he was going to be one of those... Uh, one of those actors that did a small part that, that had been really good because Doctor Two could be quite good at that. You know, getting 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 somebody nice and early like Owen Teal in Vengeance on Varos and quite a few people around this time. Um, I, I think Dursley McClendon in, in this is so great. He's like a Matanella. Oh, and this uh, this might well be my favorite thing of the episode. Watching this as a 14 year old. Uh, you know who'd, who'd stared at a green baby coming out of an egg in a holiday camp Delta, and delted the Bannerman and had gone. What's happened to my favourite programme? And uh, you see, uh, the da- a Dalek Ray one. I much prefer the single, the short sort of bolt rather than the line that seemed to me like wow they can do that now and that 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 saves you all sorts of problems with sort of lining up uh the special effects as well but then seeing it turn the person into a skeleton and have that throw tip tipping backwards into the corrugated iron that to me see was was i mean it was like it was like if doctor who had come and told me i was sexy um (coughs) and i remember a friend at school saying is that the brigadier because he says listen to me brigadier um so obviously all all that's trying to do is, is the doctor you know because he's eccentric and used when he's used to shouting at military men he's used to shouting at the brigadier but uh, to to young kids who didn't necessarily put two and two together although this is the same guy i of mine at school who thought asked me if commodore travers was travers from the web of fear and it's like i think you've got your timelines slightly skewed. but it shows the danger of uh referring back or having you know having having references to the past This even when something isn't you know when something isn't representing a tie to a previous story people might think that it is because uh, because you know tying one name to another is easier than actually thinking of the logistics of it especially when you're young and don't quite follow the stories in the way that you you understand them when you're older nothing even remotely human could have survived that great great that's not even remotely human um I think Sylvester just try too hard a little bit with some of that stuff he's I think he's much better when he's sort of brooding and melancholy uh, but um, th- I, and I remember I remember thinking you know Mike seemed like such a hero and I don't think he'd been announced in in any of the sort of pre-press and that's great that, that beam going through the window and him ducking and the, the, you know this battle sequence is really really nicely done and he's got a fantastic submachine gun and a very cool jacket and um, uh, you know they've this 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 looks really good and it's really exciting uh and uh, they spelt "Foreman" wrong on the junkyard doors which just ruins the whole thing um and i love the little bit of fire on the base of the dalek that's really cool um and it's really nice having a dalek that uh you know just doesn't just explode into some tinsily you know tinsely... um garbage uh, under a little bit of gunfire um uh, but uh, but i think i slightly resented the implication that a aces nitro 9 was better than the combined military might uh, of, uh, of of earth uh, security forces or whatever but uh, i think that's quite fun now um and i remember being very cross with this bit i, I oh and this was on the trailer and it was a great trailer as well um uh, so, you know, it, it was it was quite exciting. But of course, I, as I say, I had my eye on the bits that worried me. And I know this, I, and I can't tell now, but I think they did change it for the DB, that that bit was really badly dubbed and, the, and his countdown was slightly out of sync with his thing. And again, that bothered me more than all the brilliant things in the episode. Um, I actually used this episode in my second show, My Stepson Stole My Sonic Screwdriver, uh, where I, I do a kind of ad-libbed, Pracy of what happened like an excited child. And I just did that to illustrate a point, but it actually became the first round of applause of the show. And it's suddenly like, you can write jokes, you can make funny references and tie things together, but actually just you know pretending you're 14 again and i never wrote that bit i just sort of imagined the episode in my head and just described what happened and got to a climax uh <laughs> it always worked um now i like one thing that's pleasing about this is that i always felt the bricks were pleasingly solid uh on this bit in a show that can sometimes be a little bit uh beset with uh with, with polystyrene. I th- I think ev- everything here seems a little bit hefty. There's an attempt, I think, to make in, in a show that, you know, at this period, sometimes, as I say, things could explode into tinsel um, and explosions could be sort of like sparklers. This, everything seemed a bit sort of more real and the you know the smoke smelt and the bullets burned and the you know explosions had flames uh that shot made me think wow this guy's a real hero and as I say I don't think he'd been he'd been mentioned in the the pre-publicity um and I remember a friend of mine an older friend of mine saying because as I say I had started to sort of hang around other Doctor Who fans at this point I did I did dally with a local group um, d- during this period. Um, and it, so it was the first time I'd sort of been digesting Doctor Who at the same time as sort of other Doctor Who fans. I love that bit where they, I do love that bit where they, where they swap uh, and the thing. That's quite fun. I mean, again, it's, it's actually sort of against my, Instincts, because I don't like magic in Doctor or whatever, but it's a subtle enough and unimportant enough thing that it just makes you go, oh, that's quite fun, and they act it very well. Th- they don't act well, I don't think, the bit where he goes, she goes, doesn't she go, like, these Daleks, and he goes, Daleks, and she goes, oh, Daleks, and it's so, uh, so she pronounces it wrong, he pronounces it wrong, but somehow that teaches her to pronounce it correctly. Because <laughs> uh, I, I, Sylvester McCoy has a very odd diction and he'll sometimes not pronounce the same word twice the the same word in this it's not just alien words he just sometimes pronounces words wrongly so yeah so my friend said oh i think this mike guy is bad and i i I remember that smile that he gave gives when he walks away when ace and the doctor drive off and i was like no, this guy is the hero. You've completely misread that, you know. And I remember saying to him, you just don't understand how these programmes work. That guy is the, you know, the guy that Ace is going to fall for and it's all going to be. And I was completely wrong (laughs) and I was completely hoodwinked. I didn't see Mike's treachery coming at all, even though it's signposted by there, by him introducing, you know, Mr Ratcliffe, uh, uh, who is George Sewell, who again it was it was announced with some oomph and I didn't I didn't think I really knew and then I realized that I did. Uh and and since uh I've come to realise even even more what a what a coup George Sewell was in the in the early sixties. He was uh, he was one of those, you know, realistic Joan Littlewoody type uh actors who who lent so much sort of naturalism to to still often quite mannered uh productions. He's great in some of the uh, things like um, is it Spindo or Big or Hog? One of those. It's Spindo, I think. Uh, really good and naturalistic in the earthy mould of the sort of Glyn Edwardses and and some of those actors. Um, Michael Sheard here. I mean, it, it seemed almost too obvious casting having him uh, as the headmaster. And I thought, well, gosh, it's, why why is he doing that part? Because he was famous for Mr. Bronston Grangehill, and he did a lot of stuff. And you go, what? Well, why is he Why is he chosen to play a similar part? And again, it's only when you get older that you go actors even then when there was loads of work about they didn't there wasn't an awful lot of choice it always amuses me when actors get and he is uh, and bless him for doing the i'm going to scratch behind my earlobe because i'm in communica. i'm, I'm in communicating with my alien masters nobody notices um uh but you know, it always amuses me when actors now go in and they say, "What attracted you to that part?" And they go, "Well, you know, I, I'm, you know, I thought the character was my mom. What attracted me to it was that when I, after I'd auditioned for it twice, they offered me the job. Uh, I mean, yeah, there are film stars, of course, who uh, who, who get the choice. But but to be honest, most actors aren't aren't in an awful, you know, in in that much of a position to choose the jobs that they do. Uh, and so the you know, my, Michael Sheard was, you know. Probably hadn't done a bit of telly for a bit and his agent rang up and he probably got a decent fee from the BBC. Because if you think about it, he, you know, she had... You know, played guest leads in quite a lot of Doctor Who's, and he's, you know, it was a it was a sign to me actually because you know they'd they'd announced who was going to be in this this story, Michael Sheard, Peter Halliday, and that was really exciting for for me to be seeing people who'd been in old Doctor Who, and Sheard hardly, you know, Sheard's a small tiny part, Peter Halliday does even less, and you suddenly went, God, so actors who were you know who were sort of big news in the sixties and seventies are now doing. Small parts. What? What's that all about? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the acting profession. Um, the French Revolution bo- book irritated the big jingles out of me because it's not the same as the book in the uh, <laughs> in in the original story. And I'm going. If you're gonna do a reference back to old Who, at least make it look like the old one. Because the only people that're gonna get it are the people that're gonna know what the book looked like. Um, I quite like this line about saying that, that you know they 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 only have, you know do you remember all these things and she goes no and he goes yeah humans you know managed manage to uh, deceive themselves and it's a nice line that one of what self deception matched only by their willingness to destroy themselves that's a lovely line there there are lots of lovely lines here it, it you know there is a real attempt from Andrew Cartmel and his writers to make Doctor Who you know, kind of about something, you know, and it it, it does have a kind of rather sort of charmingly, we're going to change the, you know, we're going to, we're going to satirize the world. We're going to change the world, but, but it, but it never, I don't think it ever, um, spoils the story. And actually it, it really helps this story because, you know, they've decided to go, well, let's, let's, you know, let's have a look at, you know, what fascists are like, uh, uh, and of course, this was clearly Davros uh, and John Leeson does a lovely job of this voice. I love I love the bit where he goes, I must be informed of their movements. And there's a little sort of croak on movements. Uh, and I, I didn't I, I didn't expect the reveal of what that turned out to be in episode three. So, you know, there's lots of lovely uh, misdirection and distraction. Um, and this uh, these set's great. Uh, you know, this all this all looks um absolutely fantastic Um, um, and and the fact that actually I know Michael Sheer is under the thrall of the Daleks but he's quite a nice headmaster so he's not he's not playing Mr Bronson even though he looks exactly like him Um, and he does turn out to be a baddie but uh, he's he's a much more gentle character isn't he uh, and I think that was in the trailer as well because um, I would tape the trailers and I would watch them over and over and over again. The lighting down here is very nice. This is a very good set as well. Martin Collins, I think, is the set designer. Um So, and I'm only highlighting the things that really bugged me uh, at, at the time in order to show that I no longer think like that. I think this is a terrific episode. I love the setting. I love the nostalgia. I think the pacing of it is fantastic. I think all the guest characters are very nice. Nothing's, there's no, and there's no sort of big eccentric performances here. Everyone's just doing a really good job. Um, and I do like big eccentric performances in Dr. Huber. And, and, and it's little touches like this. When the Dalek materialises, it materialises from the inside first. So we get a nice little glimpse. But it's not exactly clear uh, what it is. But it's just a little glimpse of the sort of internal sort of skeleton and dooby doo you know, doings of the Dalek inside. That's just a nice little extra layer of detail that this production seems to have. So kudos to Andrew Morgan, who you know had directed time and the rani which is not a story that has a glowing reputation uh, uh, well in in i was gonna say in Haydock towers or, or many other places um, and he does have some very good directorial touches in time and the rani but it's still it's still um it's it's kind of not the same program as this you know t- time and the rani has uh, you know uh, shoulder padded space and spouting um spouting thesaur the, you know thesaurus spawn dialogue uh I, well i don't know why the headmaster knees ace in the bollocks but he basically does doesn't it that's that's what the inference there is um uh, whereas that you know this is a this is a really exciting heavy moving thriller, but this I was furious at because everybody else I knew was going, that's amazing the Daleks climbing the stairs. And I'm going, how many times did it say exterminate? And in fact, I counted because I think if when it starts and also the voice slightly changes you know when it when, when it starts going up the stairs it seemed to me like they'd gone for the the slightly different Dalek voice because it goes you will be exterminated then exterminate it see, it seemed to shift a key or whatever um, but but also it says exterminate about a gazillion times um, and I'm sort of going if you want to exterminate, just exterminate him, and 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 I think I counted that if you if you count through till next week when the headmaster shuts the door, uh, and, um, no, Ace Ace gets out, knocks out the headmaster, opens the door, gets the doctor out, shuts the door, moves the headmaster out of the way and runs off, and then the Dalek blows the door off. It will have had time to say exterminate. I think thirteen times. And you think? Well, if you, you know, unless you have a line about saying something like, I "Cannot exterminate t- till." Out of hover mode or something, but it's and, and it happens at the end of the next episode. Is that the Daleks say exterminate until they they have time to rescue Ace, and that infuriated me. It still slightly annoys me. I mean, it's 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 fantastic that the uh, that the that the Dalek you know finally climbs the stairs. I'll give you that. Um, and, and 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 you know it was a. It, it was a big boon for Doctor Who at that time to to be able to pull off that effect that it had never really managed to do before uh, and to, you know, stick two fingers up to all the lazy comedians and comedy sketchers and commentators and all of that. And, and indeed to the show itself when it's being glib in Destiny of the Daleks um, uh, and, and go, actually, okay, that joke's over now. You can't do that. Daleks can climb the stairs. So, you know, cannot fault the ambition Uh, cannot fault the execution of the effect. Uh, It's just within the story where the Dalek then just says exterminate until the doctor has time to escape. Uh, You you know, you're kidding, no one. Um, And because nobody seemed to mind that, I I minded it very much and more and more Uh, (laughs) until I later got over myself and just went, well, okay, it's fine. But I still do need to point it out. But it, it doesn't now really overshadow the episode for me I, that's an episode I could happily sit down and watch and have a cracking time watch it and actually I remember watching it with some it's funny I've recently done Caves of Androzani and I watched it with some university mates and they sort of mocked it a bit and then because I stayed at university a bit longer because I did a four-year course I'd got the sort of next generation of mates to watch Doctor Who with me the, the younger lot coming through who watched this with me because when we were doing our showcase we'd got the 10 pound check from simon williams uh and i remember watching it with my friend caroline and a few others uh and and they were as i say they were they were coming up they were slightly younger and they all loved it and that gave me hope for the future that you know not ev- not ev- not everybody was like the mates of my age who all you know kind of thought doctor who was a bit hokey and a bit naff so i was very excited that my friends liked remembrance of the daleks but Uh, having spoken to and read around you know people slightly older than me you know who were reading sort of pop culture magazines and were part of you know part of well popular culture and uh, you know if I was 14 who were you know kind of older slightly cooler kids at that time Doctor Who was getting cool again having you know sunk as pretty much as low as I, I could ever remember it sinking in sort of public opinion with with season 24 which um, as i I have to say there are times now when especially when i'm I'm a doctor who being commentated upon with so much seriousness it sucks all the fun out of it i i quite i would quite happily stick on a bit of season 24 and sort of uh, um but because there's no risk to the future of the show from it go though this is absolutely fun and i and i i do understand those people who go no no After sort of loads of continuity heavy stuff and, um, uh, and, and the, and the unnecessarily sort of grimness and violence of season 22. It was a relief when season 24 suddenly had Doc 2 being fresh and fun and exciting. Damn it. And I, and I, and I, I can understand that. And I, and I think that's a, a, a very reasonable position to take. But my self loathing, um, perspective has always been that if Doctor who takes itself more seriously that will somehow make it taken more seriously by the public and it's really the public I want to like it now as you know as I say I've got over myself a bit there and I tend to I, I think when I'm at my best I I'm just deciding whether I like Doctor who on my own terms because that's all that actually really matters and uh just the same as you don't get happiness in the approval of others Toby uh, you also don't get doctor who doesn't isn't good just because other people like it you know um, but you know let's let's leave the psychiatrist there shall we um I, it 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 seemed to me uh, and, and as i say and, I, and i've s- since speaking to other people um, that you know this this was a real sort of qualitative revivification of of doctor who um, and it, it had somewhat sort of regenerated and it's a, it's an excellent production. I mean, it's a really good production. Andrew Morgan, I think, deserves a lot of credit for, for the way he stages everything and attention to detail. His casting is very good. Um, it's, a, it's a great, fresh, exciting script from Ben Aronovich that has something to say, uh, and I, you know, and I, know, I know some grown-ups might be a bit slightly askance at the sort of slightly studenty politics of the Cartmel years, but uh, as a as a young person who wanted Doctor Who to be about something, and certainly wanted it to be, you know, anti-nuclear and anti-racist and all the things that you know, I, I think a lot of us, you know, it's very important to you when you're finding your way in the world to sort of feel that you're. Um, you know you know that there's that there's some part of the artistic culture that's going against what often you'd see you, you know seem to be things that were w- got away with in the mainstream um, that that you know a, a, that, w- that that seemed quite appalling and scary and terrifying it, it seemed great that there was a television program you know were prepared to tackle those things and also it meant that your program wasn't just entertainment but it was about something and that that seemed to give it sort of extra brownie points and i think and i think you know, taking the Daleks and going, well, you know, they are the ultimate in racial purity. Well, I'm going to make that the sort of sub thread of, of, of the story and and mirror that with some of the human characters. Um, I, I think is, is very clever. It's a very clever use of a an, an iconic Doctor Who monster. And it's a very clever thing to do with the storytelling because it gives us, you know, the different character and, and and I think the stuff between Ace and Mike that we will see is, is lovely and excellent but that that's a great episode of Doctor Who um, and I, I, I mean I, I think it's so great shall I, shall I, shall I say that 13 times to emphasise my point or would that just be too many um, but uh, I'm going to choose but I have to be tr- there's so many things I could choose this 1963 setting why did they spell Foreman wrong? come on if you're going to do it, do it properly. But um, anyway, um, I still like... I, I, and actually, I think the tie-ins with the first story for the 25th a- anniversary are perfectly legitimate things to do. And actually, it, it, it suits the story quite well, even though the whole thing about the Hand of Omega, seeing as the Doctor hasn't heard of the Daleks yet, is, well, well... we'll I'm sure talk about in later episodes, but I love that setting also partially because recent history is quite easy to recreate very well. Uh, If you're at the BBC in 1988, where they have, you know, the infrastructure of costume and design departments and props that are available and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's a good production choice. It's a good artistic choice that looks good. That helps the story that makes the setting seem right Um, and recognisable and yet just different enough the the soldier stuff that gives it the sort of Quatermassy unit years vibe is certainly uh, uh, appeals to me and speaks to me and the fashions are just uh, just uh, old enough to not look naff but to still transport us away from the now and in fact I think everybody in uh, Remembrance of the Daleks is dressed probably better than most people who were watching it. Ha ha ha. I think I love, as I really like the cast. I, th- I think Dursley McClendon coming out of nowhere and being this beautiful sort of heroic guy. Um, and we will, of course, talk about him because he's taken on a great significance since. Um, uh, with Russell T. Davis's uh, It's a Sin, uh, which, uh, you know, had, had parallels with with him, uh, the, the lead character. Um, and, I, I, you know, yeah, the, 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 I, I would say one of the other great things about it is, is the contrast between last year's Doctor Who and this year's Doctor Who. It really does feel like the show has had a, a real kick up the arse, um, in, in terms of, you know, production and approach and storytelling and everything. Um, but, and I wonder if Charles will choose the Dalek going up the stairs, which I cannot do. Even though I accept it's in, it's an important step, <laughs> uh, it's an important hover, uh, it's an important riposte to lazy critics, etc., etc., etc. Destroys a cliche. It's a wow moment. But I can't forgive the Daleks saying exterminate thirteen times or whatever and also because the moment that made me go wow and the moment that I still think is a little bit sexy uh is that dalek laser beam coming out hitting the soldier turning him into a skeleton which they even do now and and uh and I love the fact that that has kind of lived on and obviously evolved and they could do it much better now but and but then him flying back as well so they don't only make it a stunt they make it a special effect uh, uh, and you know that's we 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 only see the one we only see the one death in that episode but they really really make it count it's a really shocking moment and it's a moment that's shocking within the context of the episode but also as a doctor who fan makes you sit up and go oh wow you know they're trying to do things they used to do better than they used to do them and that's you know that's always a a thrill you know it's it's evolution again from the you know it used to be the whole screen can't turn negative and then it's like oh no we can turn the actual person negative and now it's like well negative yeah but let's actually you know let's x-ray them uh and fling them backwards and i just think it announces you know this this show that has a bit of a shoddy reputation out there we're 25 years old we are still You know, fighting against the odds, fighting against our low budget, fighting against expectation, fighting against the time slot. Because, of course, it had been, you know, bunged opposite Coronation Street and and going, we are going to fight. And when we fight, we turn you into a skeleton and fling you backwards. What is Charles Norton going to choose uh, as his favourite thing about episode
1: one of Remembrance of the Daleks. Thing number one and I suppose it's a general thing really although it probably most of all applies to episode one and that's the uh, the story setting uh, when it's set and where it's set which is 1963 London. Um, it's pretty much the first time um, that we've had a documentary story set um, in such an immediate past Um, Before this, you will get Doctor Who stories that are set in the 19th century or the 1920s or the First World War. But this is the first time you've actually got a Doctor Who story set within the lifespan of the show itself, albeit only just. And it really, really works. It works very well because Doctor Who is ultimately a child of the early 60s, specifically of 1963. And I think that's one of the clever things that the story does. It, it acknowledges that its creation is informed by its time, which is probably why if, you, if you're trying to make a, a Superman film set in the present day, it's, it's always a bit difficult because ultimately Superman is a product of 1930s America and it kind of works in the context of 1930s America, and it doesn't necessarily work that well in the context of, well, anything else. and. Doctor Who's a bit like that. Doctor Who just sort of kind of feels at home in 1963. And Remembrance of the Daleks is the first story to recognise that and have fun with it. It would have been very easy to have gotten quite lazy with the 1960s setting. Um, It would have been very easy to have just seen it's a 1960s story and set it in sort of some nominal Avengers land pastiche of what people think of when they think of the 60s. Um, and they don't do that. Um, they recognise the fact that this is, a, this is not a 60s story, this is a 1963 story and it is a very recognisable milieu in which the story sits and it really evokes that time, that very specific time and that very specific era, extremely well. That sort of early 60s period, that sort of early Mad Men period period full of um, racial tensions, a period when Britain didn't have very much money, Um, a period that's sort of charged with all sorts of dreams and aspirations and tied up with ideas of the Cold War and the space race and Kennedy. And it's such a, it's a period, as I say, in which Doctor Who sits very, very happily. And um, Remembrance of the Darks is sort of the first story in the series to to do that um, and um, recognize that no matter how recent this is actually a really fascinatingly charged period of history that you can have a lot of fun with and that uh, something that is so informed by sort of post-war anxieties like the Daleks is, is always going to sit very well in that setting and it does
0: well, I mean, I did outline that as, as something that I could have gone for. Um, I think Charles very eloquently summed up why that's a, a, a good call, but I didn't choose it, so I don't get the point. And annoyingly, I think I probably would have thought about, you know, the setting, the 1963 setting, as my bonus thing, my kind of overall thing, but I now cannot do that. Uh because Charles has has the advantage that, you know, if he chooses something before me, I, I then can't choose it because it's gone. Um, although if I choose something that he then chooses for a later episode of his bonus thing, I get the point for that. But um, it's history tells us that it's quite unlikely uh, and it'll just choose five completely different things from the five things I choose. But that means, you know, we facilitate a conversation, albeit one that isn't an actual conversation, uh, about various different elements of the uh, of the story, and that is absolutely fine. I think the 63 setting is a stroke of genius. I mean, it seems so obvious now, how would you celebrate the 25th anniversary? And I know we have a complicated relationship with how much the show should refer to its past or not, but I actually make a virtue of it uh, uh, in this story, and the setting works beyond the fact that it's the setting of when Doctor Who itself started. Uh, And as Charles says, it's a very 1963 story, except... um, I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) sneeze. Excuse me. Except... that, as we'll discover, it's not perhaps quite as dark outside as you would expect for November 1963. Um, and I've, se- I've seen certain fan theories sort of try and reckon that and go, well, this, you know, this clearly isn't November because a- it's clearly intended to be, as we will discover uh next week but uh, you know and i i'm i'm more inclined to go well there's some spacey reason why it's not dark outside than well it's it's more likely april then because clearly the production isn't telling us that the production is trying to tell us this is november 1963 when doctor it's just that it was it was filmed in it was filmed when it was still light uh at various times you you know for, for most of the day so and and also you don't really do night filming if you can you know, unless you really, really need to. So, um, uh, yeah, the the production is intended, even though it knows that we know and that it knows that it will probably be darker outside. Anyway, um, we will, yeah, we will discuss that, I'm sure, next week. I get this is, you know, this is one of those classics of Doctor Who and I think it entirely deserves its reputation. I'm so glad I'm not that 14 year old who was so desperate to be cross with stuff and i and as i say i can understand that urge i'm am I'm not immune to that urge and even now i sometimes have to check myself and i think even now that is still a part of my dna but i do i do try so hard to battle against it now because i i think it's better not to be like that um, although maybe that you know that 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 crossness that I had fired my passion to to make me you know explore Doctor Who and go over it over and over again and and you know made me whatever this is that I am today but um oh I wish he I wish he'd relaxed a little bit I wish he wasn't hadn't been quite so cross he was hurting a bit uh yeah he was shaking his fist at the world and he couldn't make much of a dent on the world but he could sure you know he could, he could sure kick the bejesus out of Doctor Who <laughs> if he wanted to, um, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased, and I have such fond memories of doing that that commentary with the with the cast and crew for Phantom, um, and it's a story that that bears examination, it bears discussion. It's an intelligent, layered script, as well as a very nicely mounted action-adventure with lots of gunfights and explosions and, and all of that. It, it, it sort of ticks all the boxes. Um, it's, you know, it's thoughtful and it's intelligent and it's fun. Uh, and I think the two leads have a lovely chemistry. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's all around pretty special. Yeah, so so sorry, 14-year-old Toby, but uh, you're wrong. Uh, but, come on, you know, that was a long time ago. And the past is another country which means that Mike Smith probably hates it. Um, but anyway, look, um, I'm going to stop now, and we all know how we uh, how to kill something, don't we? You say you're going to 13 times, so that's the end. The end. The end. The end. I'm running up the stairs now. The end. I'm trying to get out of the door. The end. Yes, see? I mean, I could go on, but I won't. Goodbye. 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 <laughs> stop. Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Charles Norton, who has nothing to do with social media at all. I'm nonetheless grateful to him and to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Mark Cockrum, Charles Coffin, Simon Coling, Paul Colnaghi, Ben Cook, Martin Cook, Matt Corner, Ben Cowdell, Philip Craggs, Lee Kremin, David Crew, Steve Cunniff, Dave Curran, Simon Curtis, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davies, Hugh Davies, Robert Davies, Shanti Day, Ian Dean, Tim Dickinson, Drew, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, Jeff Edwards, Andrew Egan, Fleetboy, Mark Findlay Smith, Chris Phone, Nev Fountain, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Lisa Glettill, Robin Grone, Paul J. Guest and Thomas Gerrier. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like it if one of those names being read out loud over the closing credits, well no, as the closing credits, over the closing music, Uh, Would you like your name to be part of the closing credits like like vision mixer Shirley Coward or Rostrum Camera Ken Morse or the BBC would like to extend its thanks to the Royal Navy for its cooperation in the making of this programme? Well, (laughs) that can be your privilege too and you don't have to supply me with a battleship uh, or stock footage of boats uh, or, you know, some... uh, some highly trained personnel in the arts and crafts of sea based warfare to perform as non speaking supporting artists. No, you just have to sign up for three pounds per month. That's the lowest tier. There are higher tiers uh, going all the way up as far as you'd like, but the lowest tier, three pounds a month, is extremely gratefully re- received by me and gets you access to everything in terms of the audio releases that I do, and all of the audio release bonuses that you get in Patronville, uh, which include early releases, six months ahead for happy times and places, um, exclusives, you get a a whole podcast of your own called Far Too Much Information, monthly Ask Me Anythings, uh, various little bits and bobs from my archive, all sorts of stuff, £3 a month uh, going right up, uh, and that's a monthly commitment uh, that you can cancel at any time. That's patreon.com forward slash Toby tobyhaydoke. If you can't do the monthly thing or don't want to, I know that times are tough and, uh, you know, you don't have to. It's all, 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 most of the stuff is out there for free, if a little bit later. Um, But uh, particularly like Something that I've done, or a feeling particularly flush of, you know, won the lottery, or if I sound particularly one hungry or needy or sad, uh, or just you just want to pay me to shut up, um you could go to kofi.com. That's ko kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, and just do a one-off payment whenever you like. However, I I am fully aware how difficult times are at the moment. I'm just grateful that you've chosen to listen to this stuff, and if this is what you're enjoying listening to, I'm so happy about that. And I'd be grateful if you could do something that costs you nothing at all. And that is to go to iTunes, Spotify, Patreon, give these five stars, favourite them, follow them, like them, uh, do whatever you like to them, uh, you know, download them and listen to them un- under the duvet. No, I, what, what? No, just, just. you know what I'm saying. Give them nice reviews. That really helps with passing trade and internet attention and all that sort of thing. And I'd extend that to Twitter. Uh, where these have their own Twitter feed at Podcasts. if you could say nice things about them on social media um, and point people in their direction. It's a very crowded market out there and I would love it if people would listen to these because they're full of joy and celebration and love and I, I hope they're put together in a way that is entertaining. But, you know, Anybody out there in that vast repository of cyberspace, particularly the corner that Doctor Who inhabits, uh, needs all the help they can get, and I am no different. So if you can give your help that costs nothing to give, except a little bit of your time, I would be most grateful. I am a comedian too. That's my day job. Uh, well, I'm, a, I'm an actor. That's my day job. Uh, but uh, My night job. Uh, I am a, my <laughs> By night, uh, by day, I am a mild-mannered actor. By by night, I am a, an avenging comedian uh, who performs stand-up comedy every Tuesday night. That's my regular gig at Excess Malarkey Comedy Club. It's just uh, changed location. But uh, that hasn't dampened its luster. In fact, it may have given us a new lease of life. We've won a couple of awards recently as well. So, uh, you know, we are we are the best kept secret, really, uh, in the comedy world. It's a highly regarded club in Manchester at 8pm every Tuesday. I emcee it every week. And uh, there's uh, usually four comedians from the national or international comedy circuit. And I keep the prices of that low as well. It's, it's £3 for members, £6 for non-members, which is ridiculous pricing in this day and age but again it's just an attempt to spread a bit of joy uh, but be accessible to all that's excess malarkey comedy club it's on twitter at excess malarkey and if you could spread the word about that and even pop in yourselves that would be very nice now if you're not in manchester you can check out some of the stuff that we did online during the pandemic at twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey i'm also trying to think of a way to update that more regularly with content hate that word um to make use of that twitch channel but we haven't quite got to grips with that yet but we're open to ideas and we uh we are experimenting so it's worth keeping an eye on or subscribing to that which i think you can do that's twitch.com forward slash (laughs) excess malarkey Um, okay, well, that's the end of that episode. Um, it's it's. I tell you what's nice about about this. Um, life gets a bit harder as you get older. In some ways, not in others. I know, and everything's relative. But certainly in terms of, I you know you know life is an accumulation of regrets, isn't it? And <laughs> of course, the older that you are. The more there's there's a there's a longer queue of them, <laughs> you know, waiting to tap you on the shoulder and bother you, uh, <laughs> and you know, the, the longer you survive, the more you accumulate. Um, but it but it is actually quite nice, also casting away some of those things that bothered you and worried you when you were younger. And I was so bothered by so much to do with Doctor Who, and I, I have to say, one of the one of the few joys of middle age uh, is is and maybe it's just because Doctor Who is is riding high at the moment, and there's so much expectation about it, and it's you know it seems to be safe uh, f- for a good while. Yet, touch wood, touching everything. That um, I can just enjoy the various different iterations of Doctor Who as they are. I've I you know, really, I mean, I've always liked the black and white stuff, but um, with the season two Blu-ray box set, I'm suddenly just you know seeing a lot of the Hartnell stuff afresh I was even talking to my mate Johnny Candon the other day about the chase and, and sort of going yeah I mean it's it's sort of rubbish in a lot of places but it is what it is and for what it is it's you, you it is so possible to enjoy it on its own terms and and sort of almost chocolate its shortcomings Whereas this, another Dalek story from many years later, which I had so many hang-ups about for various reasons. I was just waiting for Doctor to prickle me with embarrassment because I had to go into school the next day. I no a lot of people weren't weren't watching, sadly. Um, and even though this was such a renaissance, this story, I still had all of those hang-ups. And, was and, and you know, would have a list of sort of grievances about, even if it was an episode that seemed, you know, so good on so many levels, there would be you know things that really bothered me about it and they seem so unimportant now and um i mean that's life isn't it things that's, that churn you up and seem so important at the time uh you know you look back years later and you go what was i worried about i suppose it I suppose it's a bit like um yeah leaving an all-powerful device in a grave you know uh, in, in a coffin uh, <laughs> uh you know to, and then then going off on your travels and then Coming back and realizing you've you've got to do something with that all-powerful weapon in that coffin, uh, otherwise it'll come back to haunt you. Uh, no, do you know you're supposed to not worry about it? Um, can't remember now. What was I talking about? I just heard a beep. I, I, I don't know what that was. I hope I'm not being haunted by a ghost robot. Anyway, ruined my metaphor. But uh, I'm told that apparently one of the pleasures of these podcasts is that I say metaphors that run away with me, which I'd never had down. Are on my list of skills um and i'm rather saddened that 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 is you know you know what you want is you want you want to you want to appeal to people because of your erudition and wit and what people say is i like it when you make a mess of things despite your best intentions Arrgh! um oh well we can only be <laughs> what yeah I'll, yeah i want to be good what, what? the long and the short i want to be good <laughs> rather than being, yeah, I want, to be, I want to be good on purpose rather than, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's funny, but by mistake is not, not really what any comedian wants on their epitaph. I suppose it's better than being, he's, he's not funny, but by mistake, but then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be trying to, don't let, it's going to run away with me again, isn't it? I think I'm just going to go and bury an all-powerful device in a coffin and forget about it for 25 years. See you later.